Um, this is Psalm 73. It's towards the end. This is a psalm of lament. Asaph is, um, is writing this. He sees um, Israel falling apart, and he doesn't really understand where God is. Um, he doesn't really understand what's going on. He understands that there's the promise, um, but he doesn't see it. And he says this, this is towards the end in, in verse 23. He says, yet um, I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love that. Uh, Let me pray, and then we're going to jump in. Um, Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that, that this is a day that, um, that you literally created, that you are sustaining with your very presence every single second. Um, today is not just a day that you created and, um, and let go and you're standing back from afar, but you are um, actively a participant in keeping it alive, keeping us alive with every single breath that we have, with every thought that we think, God, that um, you are active in all of that. And that is wonderful. Um, That is something I don't think about enough. We don't think about enough that um, you desire for us to long for your presence, to long for understanding and knowing your will, to to just long for um, your goodness. Um, Jesus, I I ask now that um, your presence would be here um, as we've sung in in these songs. God, we've acknowledged that it's only by your blood that, that we are declared righteous, that God, if your presence is not here, there's, there's no point in us dwelling in a community. Uh, so Holy Spirit, would you, would you fall in this place and um, God, just draw our hearts to your scripture as your scripture points to you, Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen. Uh, so we're actually gonna be in um, Acts chapter 13 today, um, but I wanna first share a story with you all. This is um, a story from Bree and I's uh, wedding night, um, and it's, it's not that story. Don't worry, Bree. Um, see, you're starting to strength out a little bit. Um, this, this is a story. It's okay. Um, this is a story from our wedding. So our wedding was awesome, like most weddings. Uh, we had a ton of friends. We wanted to invite way too many people. Uh, so we invited way too many people. It was awesome. We had a, a ton of our Young Life kids, a ton of Young Life leaders, a lot of friends and family. In fact, way too many. Uh, one of our wedding gifts was actually, we couldn't really pay for like a lot of stuff. I, was I 23 and were you 22? I can't even remember, yeah. Um, so we had like nothing. Um, one of our huge wedding gifts was somebody offered to pay for like pulled pork because we didn't have any money. So anyways, at the end of the night, it was awesome. I think it was close to like 10 o'clock. Um, and we are, we're about to leave. We're in um, a really crappy but awesome Jeep Cherokee. That was Breeze. Um, and Bree and I had this great idea of like, hey, when we're leaving, we're going to give everyone glow sticks and they're going to like wave them around because it was like 10 o'clock at night. We were, we were just having a blast. So we stayed a little late. Um, so everyone's like waving glow sticks for, you know, taking pictures with people. And we get in Bree's Jeep and we're rolling the window down to exit the place. And we see our young life kids like collecting glow sticks and they start just chucking glow sticks at us, which was hilarious until we start getting pelted with glow sticks. Um, and so we're leaving, everyone's screaming, going crazy. It was awesome. And we get about, what, 15 minutes away from this place. 
and our car starts smoking. Like there's just smoke billowing everywhere. We're like, oh no, we had to drive to Cincinnati. Um, and so there's smoke just billowing everywhere. We're like, what is going on? I don't know anything about cars. So we pull over, uh, open up the hood, and there's glow sticks all over the engine, just everywhere melted. We're like, oh, this is not good. And so I poured like water, I think, um, in the coolant. I don't even know if we had coolant. We probably didn't know about like checking oil and stuff like that. Um, I still don't, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> and we had to drive to Cincinnati. It was like a four-hour drive. So we got there at 2 a.m. It was still a great night. And then we had to wake up at like 6 a.m. to hop on a flight to go to the Bahamas. I spent all of my money on this ridiculous Groupon to go to the Bahamas. And it was like this all-inclusive. And so we get on right the plane at like 8 a.m. We'd gotten like three or four hours of sleep. And uh, we're on this full plane. It's a really crappy small plane. And I didn't realize, but it's an all-inclusive vacation. And the all-inclusive vacation starts when you get on the plane. And so we're like, we need coffee. We need to wake up. And everyone is drinking alcohol. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, I just need some coffee. And everyone's cheering as like the, the flight attendants are, are coming down the aisle, passing out bottles and stuff. And Brie and I were like, we just need some coffee. It was not really what we expected. It was a, just a crazy night, but that was, that was our wedding night. It was awesome, and it will for always be our wedding night. But it was, it was one of those things where we didn't really know what we were getting into. We didn't really know what we were expecting until it was like happening. Like I didn't plan on glow sticks starting to smoke everywhere as I'm driving down the highway. But it happened. I wasn't expecting alcohol to be passed out at 8 a.m. and people to start getting wasted on this hour and a half plane, but it happened. And that's kind of like life. Um, We read scripture and we just think, oh, it happens. And we don't really dive into, man, what what would it have been like to actually experience these experiences that are written about? Like we read Acts. I don't know if you've ever read Acts before. and it just kind of like rolls along. And we just kind of read story after story after story. And it's like, oh, and then Paul went here. And then Paul went there. And then Paul did this. And Barnabas did this. Because it's written like kind of like a history story, a uh, history from perspective. But we don't really like pause and ever think through what would that have been like? And so I want us to, to just think through Acts chapter 13. We're going to be reading... Um, just a small section of the first missionary trip in Christian history, the first intentional mission trip, which is, which is awesome. Like Bryce and Kim um, and Shirley, they just got back from a mission trip and our church got to help sponsor them. Like that, that's awesome. We're a part of the Christian missionary Alliance in which being a part of missions is a huge heart of our church, but it's, it's important to stop and pause and recognize that, This is happening for a reason, and God is in control, even if we don't always see it. And so I want to read to you all. I need to start my timer so I don't go way over. Um, Once again, if I go too long, start throwing stuff at me. Um, But this is, we're going to start in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. I'm reading out of the NIV. um, It should be up there as well. It says this, In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, um, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, 
Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So John was their helper. It, that's John Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. Um, what I love about this, just, just check this out. Luke is, is so nonchalant. I mean, it, what happens is in just a few sentences, there's a lot of important stuff in here. Right? They're at a church in Antioch. This wasn't the main church in Jerusalem. Antioch was this really special place, though. And he says they're prophets and teachers. There are people that are called and equipped who are leading this church. And Luke makes them mention that, hey, there are these really godly men. Step one, number one, there are this church that have called and equipped some guys, and we know that there are also leaders uh, who are women at this church who are doing incredible things as well. Uh, but there's specifically these five men who are leading this church in an incredible way. I think we, we kind of just walk past that a little bit. But God is doing something really incredible. I mean, I wish I could be at Antioch hearing some sermons from these five dudes who are about to change the world. Like, that would have been incredible. <laughs> Not just the fact that they're about to go on and, and literally change cities. Um, but Luke makes make sure to mention something. This, whose idea is this? To go on this mission, is, is this the five leaders' like, idea? Are they like thinking through, how are we going to change the world? No, Luke makes sure to mention this is the Holy Spirit. Like Barnabas and Paul can't be like, hey guys, towards the end of their life, they probably died, and we know Paul did. Um, But at no point would they ever be sitting around a bonfire and being like, hey, we had this really great idea. Luke wants us to know this was the Holy Spirit. Like God was doing something incredible. God was doing something incredible. And if you ever want to know something just phenomenal about the book of Acts, um, one of my seminary professors really made this clear to me. He said, just cross out Acts in your Bible. Um, Like, Acts isn't the name. We gave that the name of Acts. I got to read this to you. It's so good. Um, If you ever read through Acts, just underline how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Um, My professor read this to me, and I think it's, It's worth reading now. He said, just cross out Acts. Um, And he said this, the real name of Acts is the unstoppable progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And I love that. That's a great name (laughs) for the book of Acts. It's literally Jesus Christ through the apostles and his church by the power of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem spreading out to all the earth. No, I can't. I'm sorry. I should have put that up there. Yeah, just re-listen to it. I mean, this is going to be so good. You're going to want to re-listen to it. But if you don't, um, yeah, just go through an an underline, Holy Spirit. Um, But the Holy Spirit is working and moving in an incredible way. Right? And it says while they're worshiping and while they're fasting, they're doing something unique and important as a church. I'll get into that later. 
And it says the congregation was a part of this. This just wasn't the leaders. The whole congregation was a part of this. And in verse three, it says, so after they had fasted and prayed, they, the congregation, who these five guys are, are praying and fasting with, they're a part of, it says they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This isn't just the leaders getting together and having a, a great idea inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is literally, this, the Spirit is moving amongst this congregation and they're in tune and they're listening and they're moving towards what God is doing. I love that. And so they're sent on their way with John Mark and they go to a Jewish synagogue and it continues, right? And it says this, they traveled through the whole island. I just want you to know, this wasn't like, oh, wonderful, God's sending us somewhere. We, we just sent the Tonys to Ohio. I mean, they got new jobs, but like, we all cried. <laughs> like, they were up there just crying. We kind of moved through this. Oh, yeah, they, they went and they left. And like, this would have been a hard thing to do. I mean, could you imagine if Paul and Barnabas were a part of our church? Like, I would be fighting them out the door to make them stay. <laughs> um, I'm not that great of a teacher. I'm definitely not a Barnabas, Barnabas or Paul. I'm sure this, this church would have been just in tears. The fact that they were losing incredible teachers and prophets. But these people were going on to do something incredible. And so they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So let's just stop, okay? Woohoo! we're going on a mission trip. <laughs> what happens the first time they land on an island? They meet a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. I'm sure in their little missionary meeting that they had, this was not in the, ah, let's expect a sorcerer <laughs> um, and a false prophet to be met. Like, this is wild. Talk about unclear expectations, being wildly unprepared for what life throws at you. I mean, this is following Jesus, though. They didn't turn back and say, God, you didn't prepare me for this, or this is too difficult, this wasn't in the guidelines. No, they understood that the Holy Spirit was with them, and so they dealt with this together. I want you to know, they weren't alone, they had a team. And so they deal with this. Um, the, the prophet and the sorcerer who were, they were attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. So they're helping the guy who is ruling over this entire country that is a part of uh, the Roman Empire. And it says the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But the sorcerer, um, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, this is the first time he's, he's really called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, underline it, looked straight at him and said, you are a child of the devil and an en enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching 
about the Lord. I just love this. There's a, there's a sorcerer. There's all this stuff happening, right? And Paul has no ability to do anything, but he's fulfilled by the Holy Spirit. Um, and much like what we just read in the Psalms, you know, God leads us by our right hand. God is always by us. And so Paul strikes, strikes this guy with blindness, and he's groping about trying to find a hand. He is totally cut off and blind from the God that he is proclaiming is real. In a, in a dark and distorted way, though. I love this story because, man, if I don't know if you experienced this. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, I was really hoping you, you wouldn't as well. Um, I've never experienced something this kind of crazy. If you were called to do something, not just overseas, but in Elkins, and this is what you experienced, what would your response be? I will say, this is, I think, the only time in Scripture that Paul, like, swears a dude out and then strikes him a blindness. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. Um, but this time is unique, and it's unique because he's filled by the Holy Spirit, and that's the response. This is a response from God. But as we read this story, it's like, so, so what does this mean? And I kind of want us to, to really look at this, because I think there's, this is valuable for us. So I want you to think through what is, and this is a, a, a question for you, um, what is the attitude of this congregation in verses one through three? What is the attitude of this congregation? Before they leave on their journey, what do you notice in verses one through three just about this congregation, this church? What is their attitude? Yeah, they're seeking guidance, absolutely. They're obedient. Yes. Anyone else? What was it? They're humble? Absolutely. They're listening to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. They're mm. Absolutely. Yeah, they're disciplined and actually seeking Jesus. Anything else? I think those are, those are all incredible things. And I'm, what I'm not saying is, all right, <clears throat> so next Sunday we're all going to fast and pray. And God, this, <laughs> ooh, there we go. <clears throat> this isn't like a one-to-one. If we do this, then God's going to do something incre- incredible, right? Um, that's not what we're saying. <clears throat> what we are saying is there's some incredible principles to be learned from this. Because here's the thing. Um, there, at this time, there are multiple other churches, right? There's a church in Jerusalem. There's churches all over the place. So why hasn't God done this previously to Antioch? Well, because this isn't a one-to-one equation. If you do this, if you fast and pray, then God will do something incredible. No, that's not what we're saying. But I think it's important to notice their attitude, how they're coming to the Lord and expecting God to do something incredible. Now, there were other churches, like I said, who were coming to the Lord in the same way, but God chose in his sovereignty to not use them in this specific way. God chooses in his own sovereignty to use churches in specific and in different ways. And I love that. I love that. Man, God has a plan for our church. It might not happen tomorrow, 
Our church is how old? 30, almost 40 years. And God is still doing new and incredible things. That's exciting. We don't know what he's going to do in five years or in one year or in 10 or 20 years. What we do know is that every single Sunday, we have the choice and the ability to show up and have a posture of desiring to know what the Holy Spirit is doing. Like, that's incredible. I think it's, it's so important. I think one of the, the most beautiful, applicable points that I take from this scripture is that before any program is implemented, there needs to be a hunger and a desire for Jesus. Like the one thing they point out is that this congregation is listening and they're in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's not just the leaders, it's the entire congregation. Man, they're desiring for God to show up in a unique and special way. I love that. I know that our leaders desire for that to happen. And I know a lot of you desire for that to happen. I'll tell you this, um, fasting is a part of my spiritual life. And we take kind of verses out um, out of their context. It's okay to talk about fasting. It's not okay to brag about it. But one of my favorite things, I'll just tell you this, um, is fasting and experiencing communion. Man, the first thing I taste on my lips is the bread and the wine that represents Jesus. That's one of my favorite things ever. It's a part of my spiritual life and I love to do it. And I'm not saying that, once again, if we all fast and pray, God's gonna do something incredible, but I know he does it in my life. It's not all the time, but man, there have been some really special and sweet times in my life that Jesus has shown me and revealed to me things specifically because of the spiritual disciplines in our life. And we've, we've gone over spiritual disciplines. We've gone over the fact that we need to be a community that is seeking the Lord, um, that is loving our neighbors close to us. But we can so easily lose sight of, man, before programs, there needs to be a hunger and desire to follow and to experience Jesus for who he is. One of the other things um, is that these leaders, Paul and Barnabas, um, when they say they release them from this congregation, um, it, it literally means they they're no longer have a responsibility for this church. So I'll say this. If you don't want to come to church anymore, uh, become a missionary. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, but it's important to know that they didn't expect Paul and Barnabas to keep coming back and to be a leader. Like Paul and Barnabas gave up they gave up a lot to become missionaries for what God was calling them to do. That's crazy, at least to me. um, It's one of those reminders that power and authority, not only in the church, but in this world, it's not something to be desired. It's something to to prayerfully and wisefully consider. Another thing I love about this is no apostles None of the 12 apostles were a part of this meeting. None of the apostles was a part of the idea or the thought the Holy Spirit didn't use the 12 apostles to think through the first missionary journey. If you ever think, man, I don't know if our congregation is like able to do something incredible. I don't know if God could ever really use me. Like, do I have much to offer? I don't know. What do you think about this church? 
They didn't have apostles. I mean, they had Paul and Barnabas. That would be pretty cool. But none of Jesus' disciples were here. This was a, a grassroots, local idea sprung about from the Holy Spirit. And that gives me comfort. It gives me a lot of comfort because I know God can use me with my talents. And I, I know God can use you all, our congregation as a whole, with the talents that we bring to the Lord. He's able to grow that exponentially more than we could ever imagine. This is in around 80, when was Paul's first, um, I think 8048 was Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas. This is 13 to 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. They had the Old Testament. I think Mark, Mark wrote his gospel um, one to two years, at least he finished it, one to two years after this journey takes place. They had no New Testament. They had no systematic theology of, okay, let's, let's scour this New Testament script. There was nothing written. They had the Old Testament, and they had the oral history of Jesus Christ to go off of. Like this idea, it literally was the Holy Spirit. They had no, I'm sure they knew about the Great Commission, but they had no, okay, let's, let's bust out, you know, the end of Luke or the end of Matthew and let's read through the Great Commission. Okay, that's great. Now let's figure out from the Great Commission what we should, like, they didn't have that. <laughs> the first missionary journey was genuinely a work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this was the only time every other missionary movement that happened was a result of socio-political opposition. It was because the Christians were being persecuted that they literally had to leave. They were dispersed. Which once again, it reminds us that God is in control. The first Christians leaving was a result of persecution. Christians being murdered. And so they literally had to leave. But this is the first time in which Christians gathered. 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection that they thought through, hey, what if we actually went <laughs> on our own? That's 15 years. It took the church to figure this out. If you ever think, man, that the ch our church is slow moving or other churches and Elkins are slow moving, I just want you to be encouraged that God moves in some slow ways sometimes. And that's okay. We're not in control of what God does. Our, our job is to be faithful Amen. with what he's given us to be faithful with. And that is that, man, if one day, maybe God will call us to do this. And in one day, in 10 years, are we still being as faithful as we are now? That's what we have control of. Are our families, the way we're raising our children, are we being faithful in that? For however long our children are in our house, or our grandkids, or whoever it may be, our wives. Are we being faithful with what we can be faithful with? I want you to also think through <clears throat> who were the church leaders? You can look in Acts 13, verse 1. And I think this is important. I want to I go into our own cultural understanding. You can, if it's up there, um, who are the leaders? <clears throat> Who's the first person named? Barnabas. What do we know about Barnabas? Does anyone know anything about Barnabas? He was what? Yeah, Paul and Barnabas end up piecing out. Um, they end up splitting. 
Um, I think in Paul's second missionary journey, yeah. They're not perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. Barnabas was incredibly generous. Yeah, um, at the beginning of Acts, uh, Barnabas is a Levite, and he owns land, which is unique, uh, because Levites weren't supposed to own land. Um, But he did, so he came from probably a really wealthy background, and he sold all his land and gave it to the disciples. Barnabas is an incredibly generous guy, and he finds himself in a leadership position in this church in Antioch. Um, We don't really know how he got from Jerusalem to Antioch. But yeah, he's an incredibly generous guy. That's exactly right. Barnabas brought Saul, later known as Paul, into this church when no one wanted to touch him. Absolutely. We know from his background that he's actually from Cyrene, which is the place they're about to go. So he's from a different culture than Jerusalem and Antioch. Who's the second person named? Simeon. What's he called? Niger. Um, That's the Greek word for dark-skinned or black. More than likely, um, we know he's probably from South Africa. He's either very dark-skinned, because once again, this is the Middle East. Most people were olive, darker than us. Um, There's a really good chance he's, he's black. And he is a leader in this church in Antioch. This, this is kind of speculation, but he could be the same uh, Simeon who carried Jesus' cross. We don't, we don't actually know. He has the same name as that person. There's a possibility. Um, but this guy is in this church as a leader. Who's the third person? Lucius. Yeah, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Um, we... We don't know much about him. Um, He's also from Cyrene, where they're about to go. Um, He was a teacher and or slash prophet. Um, That's all we really know about him. Who's the fourth person? Yeah. Manian, Manian, whatever it is. Uh, What do we know about him? He's politically connected. He's politically connected, absolutely. Absolutely. How politically connected is he? He was raised with Herod. He was raised with Herod. Uh, that word that they used, um, in, it literally means raised from the, the same breast. Like literally nurse fed with Herod, the Tetrarch, um, who just died in the chapter before this because of his unbelief in the Lord. This dude has political connections. It means he was a brother, whether that be a stepchild or an adopted but he is the stepchild, stepbrother, raised in the same household as Herod, the Tetrarch. This dude has political connections, unlike probably anyone else. You think the way he viewed the world would be a little different than them? Yeah, absolutely. And who is the fifth person? Saul, named Paul. Um, I mean, it's, it's Paul. We know a lot about him. But I just want you to think through. I mean, seriously. All five of these guys, right? Do you think they all thought the same way? 
No. I mean, no chance. Zero chances. They viewed the way, the world. I mean, what do you think their views of the Roman government were? I guarantee not all the same. I, I guarantee within these five guys, there's some people who thought the Roman government might have been good. Some people who might have thought the Roman government was bad. I mean, even just thinking through Jesus' disciples, an incredible amount of diversity in the way they viewed the world. Yet Jesus chose them to proclaim his gospel. Yet Jesus chose these five guys to start the first missionary journey. Do you think they, they viewed conflict? Do you think they thought through how to engage the world or how they saw the world, how they saw slaves, how they saw white or black people? I mean, was, was the same? I don't know. We can speculate, but probably not. Yet, they found community amongst each other as leaders in this church. It's, it's just fascinating to think about. So when we think about leadership in churches, I think we, we think about, oh, man, they're, they're the same. But the early church was so incredibly diverse that it, it's hard to even wrap our brains around. There's this incredible story um, from Elizabeth Elliot. If you don't know um, who Elizabeth Elliot is, her husband was a missionary who was killed, and she went back to those same people who killed her husband and, and proclaimed the gospel to them. Um, she has this, this awesome story, and it's, it's a fake story, um, but it's about Jesus and, and his disciples, and it has a point. She, she makes up the story that Jesus one day told the disciples, hey, pick up a rock and carry it with you today. And so all the disciples are going about and, and picking up small little pebbles because they don't want it to be inconvenient and putting them in their pockets. Uh, no, one, no one grabbed the giant stone because that would be so inconvenient. And by the end of the night, they're all tired and exhausted. They don't have any food. They don't have anywhere to sleep because uh, they're constantly on the road. And Jesus says, okay, get out, get out that stone that I told you to get. And he turns it into bread. Um, and he says, that's your meal tonight. I, I provided for you. That's, that's your food. And they're all grumbling and they're frustrated and they, they say, okay, I'll, we'll never let that happen again. And so the next day, Jesus tells them the same thing. All right, go ahead and grab a stone. And so they're all packing themselves full of large, heavy stones and they're tired and exhausted by the end of the day. And they're all waiting for Jesus to turn their stone into bread. Um, and Jesus doesn't do anything. So they're, they start getting frustrated with Jesus and say, hey, we're hungry, we're tired. When are you going to turn the stone into bread? And she makes this, this great claim once again. This isn't a true story. Uh, Jesus says, you don't need them, just throw them in the pile over here. And they're angry. They're like, what do you mean just throw it in the pile? And he, he looks at the question, or I'm sorry, he looks at the disciples and he asks the question, for whom did you carry the stone today? For me or for yourself? And I love that story that, you know, that she proposes. Is Why do we do what we do? Is it for ourselves? Or is it because it's for the Lord? Is it for ourselves? Or is it for the Lord? Why do you do what you do? Is it for yourself or is it for the Lord? Why did Paul go on this missionary journey? Was it to become great within the church? Or was it for the Lord? 
I think they decide to send out these missionaries, not because it was advantageous for their church, but because they knew the Holy Spirit was doing something incredible. And I think this is important right now for us within our own culture. And I'm, I'm going to get a, make sure, I'm going to allow you all to get comfortable, uncomfortable with me. I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, thinking through the political dynamic of what's happening in America right now, and it's going to be happening over the next year and a half, two years as um, election season happens. Um, obviously, we know there was a big political happening. Roe versus Wade was overturned. Um, I don't want to get into whether that was right or wrong. Um, I'll let you just look at Facebook um, because that's where all the answers are. <laughs> um, but I think it, it's important for us to think through not how does our political ideology define us as followers of Jesus, but how, how does us as followers of Jesus reflect and define our political ideologies. Once again, I don't want to talk about that. Is it right or is it wrong? Once again, I, I guarantee in this room, there are libertarians. I guarantee there are people who, who are more liberal or in the middle, or there are, I know, hard, hardcore Republicans. I, people can scream at each other all they want. What I know, and what we know from scripture is policy does not change people's hearts. Paul talks about that in Romans. The law did not change Israel's heart. It was to reflect that their heart was corrupt. And so what I want us to think through in our own cultural situation right now, I, you can scream at people at Facebook all day long. That's not gonna change their understanding. And what I would say is it's not gonna change your understanding of how to move closer to people. If abortion is legal, okay. How do you move towards people that wish to get an abortion. You as a follower of Jesus, not to tell them that, that that's wrong and they're sinful and they're evil. How are you literally gonna move towards them and love them in that process? That's a real question. I think for so long, as policies have moved into kind of organizations, we've relied on organizations to do a lot of the work of a Christian. Well, there's, there's a program for that, so I'm going to send them to this program. That is a very new occurrence within the world. For so long, Christians have met people's needs in a very local and relational way. I don't care what you think about abortion. How are you going to move closer to people who think that they need one? Are you literally going to walk alongside them and love them and maybe have a conversation with them? in a way that they don't feel judged or hated. I know for a fact, in Young Life, we have a program called Young Lives. And it's specifically Young Life leaders who walk alongside teen moms. And that's to love them regardless of where they're at. And it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, literally seeing teen moms and babies going through Young life, young life camps and being loved on and seeing young lives change. We just now, I think one of the first kids, his mom was one of the first children in young lives when it started. He's now on young life staff because his mom gave, gave her life to the Lord and he grew up in a Christian household. I mean, it's phenomenal to see what happens 
when we lay aside politics and start loving people and walking alongside them, start walking alongside them, regardless of what you believe or regardless of what they believe. I'm not saying don't care about politics. You can. I'm saying when someone else doesn't believe the same ideology as you, are you going to walk alongside them and love them? Are you going to fast and pray for them like this church did? If abortion becomes illegal, are you going to walk alongside them because they're broken? They don't know where else to go. Do they have a place in your family or your life in which you're going to walk alongside them and show them that there is hope? We know, statistically, Barna came out with a a big study in 2018 that Christians are two and a half times more likely to adopt or go into the foster system. And that's incredible. But if abortion, abortion becomes illegal, there's going to be a greater need. And us as a community, we need to see that need and start walking alongside people who don't know where else to turn to. I'm just being very real and honest. Working with college and high school people, it is going to be a legit need that our church thinks and prays through. Are you willing to do that? Because I know a lot of people will say, amen, um, abortion is, is no longer legal. I'm done. That was my job. Your job as a Christian is to walk alongside broken people. And that is really hard. But as somebody who sees the brokenness in a very real way, we can't ignore it. We can't ignore it and still love Jesus who died for them, who died for their situation, who wants to redeem them and bring them back into a whole life. He's done it for me. I mean, I'm, I'm, great. I'm here today because somebody looked at my life and said, that kid needs the gospel. And he walked in to my cafeteria and he sat at my side and he discipled me. He went to my basketball games. He sat and listened to me as I complained about my parents and their divorce. He invited me over to his house. And then he took me to Young Life Camp and shared with me the gospel. That's the only reason I'm here, is he listened to Jesus as Jesus ordained my life to fall into this man's hands. And he responsibly preached me the gospel. People need that. That's the reason why Paul went on this missionary journey is because he knew people outside of Antioch needed to hear the gospel. They needed it. So how are we as a community, if we are fasting and praying and looking at Randolph County and thinking through how do we love people and share with them the gospel in a very real and tangible way, how are we thinking about not what are our politics or what policies are right, but if this policy comes into place, how do we walk alongside people in a way that they feel loved? It's a question that each and every one of our families needs to answer. Policies don't change people's hearts. The gospel does. I'm going to skip over a few things. Um, I think went through what is our response. Us as the local church. um, I love this. 
once the team, once Paul and Barnabas was sent out, right, um, the local church didn't just step back and say, all right, we sent off some missionaries. Um, they did their job. We're just going to chill and worship Jesus. We know the church in Antioch still thrived. It still thrived. It became one of the largest epicenters for missionaries um, in the local church. They knew that their work was not done. Like, I, I love that this church supports Young Life. I love this church supports missionaries. I love that this church supports a lot of places. But our hearts can never be, oh, we're doing pretty good. I think I'll just show up and worship and um, I'm pretty much done. Our hearts should be longing to see what Jesus is doing, not just in the past, because we can always pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, we've done a great job. But are, are our eyes looking towards the, the future of what is Jesus going to do in the next day, in the next week, month, year, 10 years? God, what are you doing? Because it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Our hearts always need to be longing for what is Jesus doing now? And that only happens once again, by this congregation still praying and fasting and not being content with, well, we sent, we sent off two guys. That's pretty good. Jerusalem didn't do that, so. <laughs> Continuing, moving forward with what God is doing. And I think for, for us, personally, I know that there are a lot of things out of our control Bree and I's life has been horribly difficult over the past six months and over the past two years. I get that. We don't have control often of the places we live, the jobs we go into, careers, how well we do in those jobs. We often don't have control of how our marriages turn out. Sometimes just hard stuff happens. Okay? But what we can rest in is that God is in control. God is sovereign. God sent out the first missionaries by bringing about persecution. Christians literally had to die so Gentiles could hear outside of Jerusalem. We don't always see what God is doing. Just like the psalm that we read to open this, we don't always see it. But do we believe that God is in control, that God is sovereign? that he is accomplishing his will, whether we like it or not, he really hopes that we find pleasure as he accomplishes it. Are we willing to trust? Man, this, to stick it out and to faithfully trust Jesus is really worth the pain and hardship that we see, but we don't always see the goodness. But do we trust? I mean, genuinely, when you wake up in the morning, do you wake up knowing that God is good even if I don't see it? God is good even if I don't think the policies in America align with my policies. God is good even if I think America's turning for the worst or if they're turning for the bad. God is still good. It doesn't matter what you believe about the political standing of our country or of the nation. You can read books by St. Augustine, the city of God. Christians were blamed for the downfall of Rome. August, St. Augustine didn't care because God was still good. I'm just, I'm just saying God is good and we need to accept and understand that he is sovereign and he is accomplishing our, his will. Man, our challenge is, as Christians, as followers of Jesus 
a people who claim that we are redeemed based off the death of a man in God, Jesus Christ, I can't even understand and fathom. The thing we stand on is something that we can't fully understand. Are we willing to look towards the future knowing that God is in control, that one day God will come back and redeem everything? And that isn't predicated on the policies of this world. God's going to do it. He's going to do it. Will we be faithful? Will we walk alongside those that are broken, those that are hurt in Randolph County? Because God calls us to do it. Will we not be content with what we've done in the past, but move towards the future that the Holy Spirit has for us? Why? Because it is good. Because God has declared good. I just want to leave you with those thoughts to think through. Because we know (laughs) over the next year and a half, two years, there's going to be a lot of stuff that might trigger you and make you frustrated. And it's going to trigger a lot of people in America. Are you willing to look past that and see what the Lord is doing? Because if not, it's going to be hard next few years. It's going to be difficult. What I would challenge you with, I've challenged you with a lot. (laughs) I'm challenging myself along with all of you, is to look past all of the politics and all of the policies and all of the fighting and see Jesus. Love your neighbor well and move towards them in ways that they need you. They need you to move towards them. Let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you that you accomplish your will in baffling and confusing ways. God, because when we are on our toes, we know that in trust and faithfulness, um, you are going to do an incredible work. You did an incredible work in Antioch, um, and you, you have continued to do an incredible work not just an acts, God, but here and now. We trust, I mean, we proclaim as a congregation that these next days, months, weeks, years, whatever it may be, God, that you are doing incredible things. You are redeeming people and bringing them back into your kingdom. That is something to get excited about. No matter what is happening around us, God, you are doing incredible things because you are good, God. And we know the outcome of this world. A new heaven and a new earth. Father, so we we trust you when we don't see it. We know that you are leading us by our right hand, that you are a good daddy, and that we are your children. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen.